0: I want to introduce to you my good friend. Um, as most of you guys know, over the past uh, summer or for throughout the summer, I'm going to be—I'm taking off teaching. I'll be back on our summer in August teaching. I'm leaving for um, Hungary. Um, this Tuesday, with my wife and my daughter, my 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 other daughter, my oldest daughter is actually on an entirely separate mission trip with an entirely different agency. Um, right now, she's landing in a Middle Eastern country somewhere, which is kind of like nerve-wracking for my wife and I. But we trust that God's got her in her hand. Uh, our family leaves on Tuesday to go to Hungary, and then we're going to reunite with my daughter, who's like I said, on the other entirely different mission trip um, in Budapest. And then we're going to go to Austria for a few days as well, and we'll be back about two weeks. So. You guys can be praying for us. But as I introduce our next our guest speaker that will be communicating to you guys, speaking to you guys this morning, his name is Danny Foote. So Danny Foote, in short, has been a part of this church for quite some time. He has been a missionary who has been living in Ukraine, who has lived in Ukraine, pastored a church in Ukraine. Um, I want to say ever since he was in his late teens— He moved there, and so if you look at him, you'll see he's kind of a still young looking guy, Um, but he was there for a long time. He'll tell you more a little bit about that. So where's Danny? I'm gonna have Danny come on up right now, and let's give Danny a warm welcome.
1: All right, now it's on. Good morning, it's good to be here. I'm Calvary Slow. Today we're gonna be doing something a little bit different. Um, We're not going to be picking up in Acts, but I will be referencing it a little bit. I want to share with you today some of the things that God has been showing my wife and I as we've moved back to the States, and to really thank you as a church for all that you have done for us over the years. Um, so I want to start off by telling a little bit about our story in Ukraine, what, you know, how God led us, um, what we did over there for since um, 2002, and um, also just kind of have some slides shown in the background so you all can kind of see where we lived. I'm not going to explain them or anything. If you have questions about what they are, they're Ukraine. They show what Ukraine's like. <laughs> We're also going to be um, opening up our Bibles today to look at a few passages of Scripture. So if you need a Bible today, just raise your hand. I think just kind of pass them out like hot dogs at a football game, so watch out. So I really want to start out by just saying thank you um, for supporting our mission in Ukraine for 14 years. Um, We were over there for 14 years, and Calvary Slow um, was a big part of everything that we did. Um, Calvary Slow has been involved in spreading the gospel in Ukraine since I think about 1998. Brian will have to figure out the date on that one, because it was that time that Brian and a team from Calvary Slow came over to Ukraine to do evangelistic concerts. Maybe Jake Notts remembers the time. I don't remember. It's a long time ago. But they did evangelistic concerts, and I was there for the summer also. And we went to different cities. And one of the cities we went to was the city of Preluki, And we put on a concert um, there in 1998 or 99 or 97, whatever year it was. But not long after that, another missionary named Paul Sizemore, who was kind of organizing that, he went to um, Preluki with a group of young, eager missionaries to plant a church there. And my wife was part of that group that went that summer to plant that church. Um, about a year later, my wife and I met in... Um, Bible College in Austria, this place where Brian's going in a few weeks, pretty cool place. Um, And we both wanted to go to Ukraine and kind of found ourselves on the path to Ukraine and um, pretty much fell for each other and decided we wanted to spend our lives together serving God. And so we came back to the States and got married and moved to Ukraine as full-time missionaries in 2002. And we just had a really simple desire to see the gospel spread through a country where the gospel had been pushed underground and Christians had been an oppressed minority for decades and decades. So we served in the city of Preluki for about three years with a team of missionaries there. Um, And then uh, we moved to the city called Kagarlik, where we lived for the last 10 years helping pastor a church. During that time, we were involved in various ministries and outreaches, like orphan ministries, um, helped serve in a drug rehab center. We built and served on a worship team, you know, taught home Bible studies. So just being part of church life and um, outreaches and responsibilities in the church. Um, and basically, what I want to say in summary through all of this is just realizing that through all of this through prayer, encouragement, and financial support. Calvary Slow was with us in all of those things, and all of the outreaches, the the Bible studies, the prayer meetings, the preaching, we did that because we had a church behind us that was supporting us, that was taking care of us. (laughs) It's Ukraine. And for that, we are thankful, because we wouldn't have been able to live in that in those pictures and have done that life without a church body that was behind us. And so I really do want to thank you for that. Thank you for being a part of a, or of our ministry and our lives for 14 years and for providing a good church body for us to come back to and be a part of now that we're living here on the Central Coast. Um, I would ask that um, you would continue to keep Ukraine in your prayers. Um, although we're back here and won't be speaking regularly and trying to, and telling you that you need to pray for Ukraine, please remember to pray for Ukraine. Um, there 's still missionaries there that are serving the McNamee family is supported by the by Calvary Slow. Um, if you think about them, pray for them they 're a great family and they need your prayers there 's still a war being fought in eastern ukraine there 's still a million people displaced there 's more than ten thousand that have died fighting. They need your prayers. Um, the country, the churches, and the believers there need your prayers and so I would ask that you continue to um, continue your ministry in Ukraine by praying for the people there, the churches there, the um, people who are suffering and hurting. What I really want to talk about today is the gospel, and because I always want to talk about the gospel when I have a chance to share with the church. And I, I hope that some of the things that God has done in our lives... And how the gospel has influenced that and directed it and worked in us. I hope that that will be an encouragement for you today. Because in all of the good and exciting things that we like to share about that God did in Ukraine. Saving people and working in people's lives and building churches. God also led us through very deep sorrow. He led us into brokenness. And he changed the course that we had been on for more than a decade. And that was kind of the end. For us. And you realize that the Christian life is not a journey along a straight path where everything works out fine and goes well according to plan. Jesus said that narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And from what we've been studying in the book of Acts and what I've seen in our lives, I believe that God leads us down a difficult path that's meant to change us into the image of His Son. And that path is full of unforeseen events, it's full of hardships, joys, sorrows, times of waiting, times of fruit in times of change. But in all of this, I believe that the trajectory of our lives doesn't change. There's an overarching direction that God is moving us in, and the ups and downs and backwards and forwards of those lives are part of that overarching direction. And so I want to look at a few passages of scripture today that give us some idea of the trajectory that our lives should be on, even when we don't get the results that we want, or when our path is suddenly or drastically changed by God. And through this, I hope that we'll see that our course doesn't change and it's the gospel that keeps us on course. So today I'm going to attempt to ask, I'm going to ask, and I'm going to attempt to answer three questions What is the trajectory that we should be on? How does the path change but the trajectory stay the same? Because that kind of seems like a contradiction. And then how does the gospel keep us on course? I want to start with the gospel today because I believe that the gospel both propels us along a trajectory and it keeps us on course. And so I want to spend quite a bit of time this morning actually just talking about the gospel. So what is the gospel? We talk about the gospel a lot in church. We say things like we need to share the gospel. We need to preach the gospel. People need the gospel. But what do we mean when we talk about it? When I say the gospel, this is what I mean. I mean, the gospel is the ultimate good news that shines a light on us by which we see God and ourselves as we really are. The good news tells us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he paid for the sins of mankind by dying, by becoming a man and dying on the cross in the place of men. That he has conquered death by rising from the dead, that he has ascended into heaven where he is now exalted on the throne, and that by these actions he has reconciled with God those who believe forgiven their sins and given them new spirit given their spirits a new life in God through his spirit who dwells in them and he's made us children of God that's kind of in a nutshell but each one of these points as we look i put it on a slide so we could look through it each one of these points has really broad implications in our lives that Jesus is the Christ has implications he is the anointed one the one that God promised The king sent by God to rule in justice and righteousness. God promised to send his people a king who would free them from oppression and wickedness so that they would be governed by a good, righteous, and just king. In our day day and age, when we see unrighteousness, we see injustice, we see oppression happening in our country, this is good news that there is somebody who will bring righteousness, who will bring justice, who will free us from oppression he is the son of god god came down to us to do what us men mere mortals humans could not do he came to us to bring justice to bring mercy to bring forgiveness to bring grace to us and he paid for the sins of mankind this good news this gospel that jesus paid for our sins it implies something really important When we say that Jesus paid for our sins, we're not just saying, hey, look what Jesus did. We're saying, look what I couldn't do. We were not able to be good enough. We weren't able to make a good enough lasting sacrifice. We weren't able to do enough good things to change that in our core, we are sinners. And that sin has killed our spirits and is only bringing forth more pain, suffering, brokenness, and death in our lives. So when we say that Jesus paid for our sins, we have to remember why it's significant. Because we couldn't do it. It's only good news and it only sounds like good news if we realize we were so weak we could do nothing in ourselves. Jesus conquered death by rising from the dead. When we use the word conquer, it implies something. It implies that there was a fight that needed to happen or that happened, it implies that there was an enemy that was being fought. Death was an enemy. Death is an enemy. Death needed to be conquered. Death was doing things to us that it should not have done. Jesus conquered it. He did what we were powerless to do because death stands before us all. It sometimes stands around us. It sometimes stands right before our eyes, and it reminds us that all is not as it should be. That there is something wrong with this world. There is something broken. And when we proclaim the gospel, we're saying, guys, there's good news. The thing we couldn't do anything about, the thing we're all going to experience, the thing that used to have final say in our lives, the last and greatest enemy, it's been conquered by Jesus. It no longer has that power over us. Jesus made us God's children. He gave us an identity in him. He brought us into his family, and he offers mercy to all who believe. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to be better people. We don't have to try harder to obtain that mercy, to be brought into his family. It's apart from our works. It's apart from all of the good things we could try to do. God says, come to me and believe. That's all. All we have to say is, there's nothing I can do. Jesus, you're my only hope. And that good news, that changes everything. When we say, Jesus, you are my only hope, there's nothing else. Everything in our lives changes. And our lives begin to move toward God. And the gospel, which tells us that Jesus is our only hope, it propels us forward. Paul says in Romans 1, it's the power of God unto salvation pushes us forward into salvation. It propels us along a trajectory. So what is that trajectory? What does it look like? Well, the word trajectory, my computer's dictionary, says it's a path followed by a projectile or an object moving under the action of given forces. So there's something that's moving an object along a path. So when I say the trajectory of the Christian life, I'm talking about that direction that we are being propelled upon by the work of the Holy Spirit through the gospel in our lives. Because the Christian life is not a static life. We're always in motion. We're always moving towards something by God's hand to accomplish what he would like to do in us and through us. And I think we see this propulsion along a path at work in the book of Acts. And Brian and James and Nick have been doing a great job looking at the people in the book of Acts and showing how the Holy Spirit is changing their lives and pushing them in certain directions to change them into more of Christ's image. We've been looking at the life-changing work of the Holy Spirit in Peter and John and Stephen and Philip and all of these people, and we've been seeing that all of these characters in this story God is working in their hearts to lead them along a path that they don't understand what's going on. But as they look back, they see, oh God, you are doing this to show us something and to change us into your image, to change us, to show us how the gospel works out in our lives. And we see in the first couple chapters of the book of Acts a small glimpse into the Christian life and the course that God set for his people when we see them in prayer, in fellowship, and listening to God's word. And then we see how that affected them. Because it's not enough. The Christian life isn't just about being in prayer and fellowship and the word. That has to affect us and do something to us. And we see that it changed who they were. They became people who gave. They became people who helped those who had nothing. They came together. They formed a community. The things that they valued changed, and the way they lived changed. What they wanted out of life changed. Their hope was in Jesus. It wasn't in the things of this world anymore. And we saw it as we read. They would sell their possessions and give it to the church so that the church could take care of people. It was a very strong outworking of their understanding of what was valuable in their lives. If we jump ahead in the story of the, the early church a few decades, several decades most likely, to the book of Hebrews... We catch another glimpse into the lives of Christians and their priorities and their values. And I think these verses show us quite a bit of what the trajectory of the Christian life looks like and and the trajectory that they were on. So I want to open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 today. If you want to open up to Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be starting in verse 32. The author of the book of Hebrews was writing to a group of Jewish believers. And these people had been believers for quite some time. They knew Jesus and they had been through a lot. And they were in need of encouragement because so much had happened in their lives that they were questioning whether they should return to Judaism or whether they should stay in Christ, whether they, there so much had happened that they had begun to just question. And so the author of Hebrews writes this amazing book that explains why Jesus is so important. And when he gets to chapter 10, he starts talking about, okay, now this is how it affects our lives. And he starts talking directly to them and their experience. And we pick up in, in verse 32. We're going to read. The author writes, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who are so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. What do we see in these verses of these people's lives and values and priorities? We see that they joyfully accepted when other people came and took their stuff. They had compassion on those who were being oppressed and even took part in being oppressed with them because they knew that they had something that would carry them through that. They knew that the things of this world were not as good as something else that they had, and that other thing was lasting and would abide. It wouldn't be taken away from them, and it wouldn't leave. What did they have? What did they hope in? What was it that they had that allowed them to joyfully accept it when people came in to their houses and just took all their stuff? And nobody's happy when that happens. But these people said, no problem. We've got something better. Take it. I don't need that couch. (laughs) What did they hope in? I believe it was the gospel. The gospel tells us what we have. It tells us good news of who we are and what we have. It tells us what we have hope in. It tells us we have forgiveness. We are children of God. We have an eternal inheritance waiting for us. We have a home in heaven. I've got some slides up with them, all these points, so you can look in the Bible where they're at. We have comfort in hardships, that justice is coming. The gospel tells us that God is with us, that this life is temporary, that death has been defeated, that there is hope. So that when hardship comes, the message of the gospel frees us from worry and anxiety and fear. It frees us from the weights and pressures of this world around us that wants to sell us a message that we never have enough. That we need more money, we need better security, we need better government, we need better health care, we need better leaders, we need a better church, we need better homeland security. The world around us is telling us we need more, more. And all those things, the gospel says, you have something better. You have something better that frees you from those words. Those things do not give you an identity. They do not give you security or peace. You have all you need in Christ. So the trajectory of the Christian life is a course that leads us away from the desires of our flesh the things of this world, and it leads us toward the things of God, the things that are lasting and eternal. You could say that the course of the Christian life is a path of dying to yourself and being given life by the Spirit. Jesus said, if we're going to follow him, we have to deny ourselves, go away from the desires of our flesh. We have to pick up our instrument of execution. We have to die. That's what he said we've got to do. And Paul said... There's one thing I want in life. Everything that came before is worthless to me. I want this one thing. I want to know Jesus. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. We're called to die so that we can live. We're called to walk away from one life so that we can be in another. Put another way, we're set free from the desires of our, or selfish desires of our hearts and a self-centered view of life and we're brought into the fullness of life of God where we actually desire that which is good and we desire the one who is a source of good things. We're given a new life in which we're brought into fellowship with the creator. These are just ways of restating kind of the same thing from different angles that our hearts are changed. we were changed from being inward and self-focused to being God-focused in such a way that we find fullness and wholeness in the life that the Holy Spirit produces in us. That's the trajectory of the Christian life. It's the trajectory that the Christian church was on when they gladly accepted their homes being plundered because it was temporary and they had something better. It's a massive shift in what we value and what we want out of life. But it's not just a shift in what we value, it's a shift in who we actually are. Because the gospel proclaims that we're made children of God. Who we are down to the very core of our beings changes. Paul writes in Romans 8 that God's plan is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. God's plan, he predestined us, he planned ahead so that He, everything that would happen in our lives would lead us to being like Jesus in the things that we desire, in how we act, in what we value, and in how we love. And so the trajectory of the Christian life is a flight path toward God with the goal of which that we would become like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because God wants us to be like his son. He has adopted us. He's brought us into his family. He's cleansed us and given us new life so that he can be seen for who he is, the wonderful, gracious, and loving father. And all that happens in our lives moves us along the path to the goal that we would be like Jesus, to the goal of saying, all that I have in life and death, my only hope is you, Jesus. To the goal of saying there is nothing in this life that's better than what you promised and what you have already done for me. Whatever we are called by God to do, it's always along this trajectory. If we're called to vocational church ministry, where we serve in the church full time, if we're called to spend time on the mission field, to spend our lives on the mission field, if we're called to care for the sick, if we're called to be a teacher in a local school district, or if we're called to work at a local business, if we're called to work at an international business, traveling all the time, if we're called to stay at home and raise children, if we're called to start our own business, if we're unable to work for some reason at all, if we're retired, it doesn't matter. The trajectory of our lives is all the same. We're moving toward God to be like Christ. The Christian life looks the same regardless of what God has called us to do. We're changing from being self-centered people who live for the temporary desires of this world to become people who know that the fullness, fullness is only found in Jesus Christ and he is enough. Christian life looks the same because we're being propelled by the gospel along this trajectory. And when we're being propelled along that trajectory, when the gospel is changing who we are, changing what we value, what we want, we are glorifying God and doing exactly what he wants us to be doing. The paths may be different that we walk down, but all our lives are in Christ and we're moving in the same direction. And this sounds inspirational and great, but it becomes really real and very important when we start to go through difficult times in our lives. When our house is actually broken into and we have to decide where our treasure is. When somebody close to us gets terminally ill and we're forced to believe what we believe forced to decide what we believe about death when we lose a job and aren't sure how we're going to take care of our family, and we have to decide what we believe about God's faithfulness. When the stress of our lives builds up and we don't know how we can continue on, we have to decide what we believe about God's leading. When really bad things happen in our lives, and we have to decide what we believe about God's goodness, it becomes very real questions that we ask. Over the years in Ukraine, we had a few hardships. I mean, we've been assaulted in various ways. We've had stuff stolen from us. But it wasn't until about 2012 that God began to lead us through very difficult things. It was a year that I started to get migraine headaches every day. And we saw doctors and looked at everything, and they said, You're healthy. We can't figure out what these headaches are for. Or get some rest, see if they start to go away. So I got some rest and started to feel a little better, but they just kind of went down to low-level migraines that I got every day. And we started to see God was doing something. There was something going on, but continued on in life and ministry. And we found out a little bit later that year that Lisa was pregnant. And there's so much joy when you find out something like that. For those of you who have gone through that, you know that it's a great joy. And that joy was only tempered by the numbness that I felt from just having constant low-level pain every day. But it turned out that the joy was also short-lived because God, we found out that God had other plans for our baby, and those plans didn't include our baby being able to live outside the womb. And what followed after that was the hardest year of our lives, because I was in constant pain physically and emotionally, and because of that was unable to be a good husband to my wife as she grieved and did her best to take care of the both of us. And we finally just kind of got to the place where we realized we couldn't continue on in ministry, just physically. It was the end. We found that my headaches were caused by adrenal issues. We finally found a doctor who said, you've got a, your adrenals are shot. You're, they're not producing enough cortisol or too much at the wrong times, and it's just, you've got to fix that. And I said, how do you fix it? Who knows? you just got to try everything you can try. So I've been doing that for like four years now but they were definitely not going to get better living in a foreign country where our stress levels were pretty much always at a 9 or 10 out of a scale of 1 to 10. And we realized that the life we had been living, the career that I loved, the place where we had put down roots, it was finished. It was over. It took us about two years to realize that as we tried to stay faithful to serving God, to serving our church, to pouring our lives into people. And it felt like the whole trajectory of our lives had not only changed, but it just stopped. We weren't going anywhere. There was nothing. And we wrestled and are still wrestling with what to do with this. God changed everything, and we had to wrestle with these questions. What do we believe? What, what, where is God? What is he doing? What is the path we're supposed to be on? Does it matter? Who are we? I believe that we all go through periods in life where God just changes everything. And he does this because he's working to change us into the image of his son. He's willing to stop us in our tracks and turn us around in another direction because he knows that in doing so, we'll eventually see his grace and his mercy. We'll learn to rely on him more. We'll see that we are small and he is good. And in the end, we'll look back and we'll say, I can't believe that you did that to me, but it's the best thing that ever happened. There are times, there will be times, and our lives just change, and there's no going back. There's no going back to what was before. Sometimes it's joyful changes as we get married, and there's no going back on that. Now we're married and life is good. Or we have kids. And now we've got kids for the rest of our lives. We've got kids, okay. <laughs> no going back. <laughs> Sometimes it's smaller changes. We got the job we always wanted. Sometimes it's painful when somebody really close to us dies and a part of us dies with them. Sometimes we get a debilitating sickness. Sometimes we lose our job. Sometimes our plans don't work out at all. And it's that place that we have to stop and look around and say, where is the gospel? Where is this gracious God? Where are the blessings? People say you shouldn't ask questions of God but I think that we have to ask about the gospel. We have to ask questions because if we don't ask what God has to say about the hardships in our lives, we will never hear the good news of the gospel answering us back. We'll forget that the gospel tells us that Jesus is our only hope. So we need to wrestle with questions that our hardship produced because we need the gospel to shine light on them. We need God outside of us to shine his light down so that we can see what's going on. We need the gospel to show us that God is with us and that he's leading us along a path that he understands even when we don't. As we struggled with the idea of leaving the mission field of no longer being in full-time ministry, changing our whole lives and our whole identities, we came to the point where we just had to say that Jesus is our only hope and that he remains our only hope. We're no longer missionaries in Ukraine. That part of our life is past. We now work helping people get running gear. We don't write newsletters to churches. We don't share every part of our lives so that people can hopefully be encouraged and glorify God. We don't pour our lives into people, prepare sermons except for this last week, or lead worship. Instead, we work a 40-hour work week at a job that's really nothing special. Who we were used to be very wrapped up in what we did. And in a lot of ways, it needed to be, because if you're a missionary, that's kind of how it is. But God slowly unwrapped that and is teaching us that our identity is in Christ. We are God's children. We are saved and cleansed by the blood of Christ. We've been reading about, in the last couple weeks, about Peter praying on the roof and how God gave him a vision of some bacon-wrapped shrimp and Peter said, that's not who I am. He looked, at, he looked at it and he said, no, that's not who I am. And God answered back. And how, what did he say? He answered with the gospel. He said, don't call unclean what I have cleaned. I've cleaned this. I became a man, died on the cross, paid for your sins. You can't call this unclean anymore, Peter. Are you forgetting the gospel? He brought Peter's identity as a Jew into contrast with the gospel and said, you're clean because of what I have done, not because you don't eat bacon-wrapped shrimp. We are God's children because of what God has done, not because of the things that we've done or the things that we do. We're God's children because God has made us clean, not because we minister to people. We are in Christ because God has given us his Holy Spirit, not because we feel close to God or because we have a great church. Or because we have a great job, or because our family loves us, or because we live in a beautiful place. Those are not the blessings of God that show us that we are in God. Jesus is the thing that shows us that we are in God. And Lisa and I have been learning that the course of our lives has changed. And a lot of times we feel like there is less meaning and purpose in our lives now. But has the purpose of our lives actually changed? It really has only changed if the gospel is not kept at the center of everything we do. Our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, as the Westminster Catechism says. And we do this as we're changed into the likeness of his son. Can we glorify God and enjoy him and be changed into the likeness of Jesus as we help people find packages that get lost in the mail? Can we do that while we're helping a recovering drug addict learn to study the Bible? Can we do that by leading worship? Can we do that by just spending time with our families? What is it that we need to glorify God and enjoy him forever? We need to see that God is glorious and that in him is fullness of joy. In him is everything. How do we see that? The gospel proclaims that truth to us. The gospel reminds us that God's in control of all things and that he is leading us to a better city, to eternal life. The gospel reminds us that we don't have hope in anything else other than Jesus, that each day we need Jesus and that each day in Jesus, God is pleased with us. What about meaning and purpose and doing great things for God and God doing great things for us? We talk about it a lot in church, that God wants to do great things in us and through us and things like that. I think the gospel tells us very clearly and without a doubt that our good deeds do nothing to improve our standing with God. All the beautiful and good and holy and righteous things that we do in our lives do not do anything to change how God looks at us. And that's really good news. Because it means that if we lose our jobs, God's still there with us, and he hasn't changed how he feels about us because our good job didn't make us better with him. It means that if we leave everything behind and decide we're going to move to China to spread the gospel, God's not changed with how he feels about us because it's not based on that. It means that if our house burns down and we lose everything, God hasn't changed how he feels about us. It means that if we get a chronic or terminal illness... God hasn't changed how he feels about us. And when life is just hard, and day in and day out, nothing seems to get better, God hasn't changed the way he feels about us. We're still loved, we're still accepted, and we're still children of God by the sacrifice and love of Jesus Christ. But don't we have to serve God? Isn't there like something that we're supposed to do? There's an idea in the church today that serving God means we do something in the church or we're a pastor or a leader, we go on the mission field. But if we pay attention to the gospel, we see that serving God is different than that. I'm not saying you shouldn't show up and work this afternoon and get some pizza or volunteer to clean the bathrooms. We need that sort of stuff. It's good. It's the outworking of the gospel. But the gospel, it breathes life into our dead bodies to make them alive in Christ. It propels us along a trajectory of change where we're set free from selfish and sinful desires so that we can serve the one true God. What does that service look like? It's our lives constantly changing to where He is the focus and the center. Where we see how much bigger and greater and more merciful and more gracious He is than we ever thought. Where He becomes so much more valuable that He is everything. God moves us into places where we see He is the Lord. He is the focus. He is the most important part of our lives because He is the most important in all of the universe He created. That's what serving God is about. It's about seeing him as he is and letting that change the way that we act. So through the changes in our lives, we need to keep the gospel before our eyes. We need to preach it to ourselves. And in the words of the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, you should read catechisms, they're great. We need to ask ourselves, what is my only comfort in life and death? And we really need to ask ourselves that question. And we need to follow up with the answer because there's an answer. Heidelbergs, they got together in Heidelberg and they got it right. They said, my only hope in life and death is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and he set me free from all the power of the devil. He preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily, willing, and ready from now on to live for Him. We've got to get that answer right. We have to ask the question, what is my only hope in life and death? And we need to get the answer right because it changes everything about who we are. That was Paul on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus and changed him. It was Peter when he met with Cornelius. Everything changed. Philip when he went to Samaria and then was taken into the desert. What is going on? I don't know. Everything is changing. All these people had abrupt changes in their lives where they thought God wanted them to be doing something, and God changed it. And they did it because they knew what was important. They knew there was only one thing that was important. It was Jesus. And they were going to do what he said. They belonged to Jesus. And whatever he said for them to do was both good and good for them. Peter understood that. Even when he's like, Lord, no. He finally was like, okay, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. If the Holy Spirit said, stop what you're doing, I have something different planned for you. They understood. They knew That was a good thing to do. They lived for Jesus because they knew what Jesus had done for them. And they knew that the life they had in Jesus was a good life and it led to eternal life. My encouragement for you all today is that no matter where you are in your life, no matter what choice or change or hardship is standing before you, that you would hear the good news of what Jesus has done for you. And that you would see that it really does change everything changes a perspective. It changes how we feel. It changes how we look at things. And we need that. We need that perspective. We need it to keep us on course, on trajectory, because life is difficult. We have to wrestle with things. And we have to see that Jesus is there. We have to see that he is our only hope. And that that is a good thing to be, a good place to be in worship team is going to come up and play a few songs and there's going to be time to respond to god in song and prayer Um, there's communion and elements scattered around the room in some various places if you want to come by faith to the communion table to receive by faith the sacrifice of jesus as you remember what he's done for you today i would encourage you to do so to take some time to think about what the gospel has proclaimed about what christ has done And what that means to who we are, what that means to our lives, what it means to what we're going through right now, what it means to our country, what it means to us personally today. So let's pray that God would work in our lives. Let's pray that God would remind us of what the gospel means to us and what we need today. Father, we thank you this morning that you are a good God who saw fit to become a man and to come down in the likeness of men and do what we couldn't do. We could not set ourselves free from sin. We could not conquer death. We could not change who we were. And so what we couldn't do, you did. And we, we are all in places today where we need you in different ways. Some of us are hurting. Some of us are confused. Some of us are happy and just enjoying life. I pray that we would all see the truth of the gospel as wonderful. I pray that your Holy Spirit would awaken in us a love for you based on who you are and what you've done, that we would see that you are glorious. And that in light of that, everything that's happened in our lives would come into focus as being something that you are doing for our good, to make us into people who are like your son. Jesus, you are good to us. You have done so much. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your spirit that you've given us. We thank you for sacrificing yourself in our place, for allowing your body to be broken and your blood spilled, so that we could be given new life in you. We pray that the simple truth, as we meditate on it, as we partake of communion, as we sing songs of worship and praise to you, that the simple truth would affect what we value in life and what we find to be important. That we would know that we have a lasting possession in you that it doesn't matter what happens in our lives. We have you. You are our only hope in life. And so we ask that you would work in our hearts and that you would minister to each of us where we are right now. Amen.